Hi, and welcome to another Kirk E. Free Sermons podcast. Today we have a special podcast. We're calling it the, the Palm Sunday Podcast. I'm sitting here with Pastor Josh again. How's it going, Josh? Good. How are you, Sean? I'm doing well. We've also got a third member today. We're sitting with our youth pastor, Pastor Nathan. Hey, Nathan. How's it going? Good. You want to introduce yourself, let people know who you are? Yeah, my name's Nathan. And uh, I am originally from the Black Hills of South Dakota. Rapid City is where I grew up and love that part of the country. Mm. Uh, you know, three million acres of forest land to explore. So we get to go back there every once in a while, my family, and just enjoy that time with family, enjoy being outside. I am married. My wife is named Anna, and we've been married for uh, 10 years, going on 11 this June. And we have three kids right now. We have a, a five-year-old Theo, a three-year-old Elon, and a one-year-old Quinn. Mm. Well, they're somewhere around in that range, somewhere between that. It changes every day. Yes, it does. So we're, we're pretty busy, but I've been here with my family in Kirkoven for going on five years this August. Why did you leave the Black Hills if they're so great? Well, it was a matter of following the Lord and his calling on my life to minister, sure, to be a minister to youth and to the body of Christ. You know, I was working a construction job between this position and the last. You know, we were paying the bills and we were having fun. We had our first child during that time, but there was just always that uh, that burden on my heart that I, I love working with students and, and being a part of the church in a full-time ministerial kind of fashion. You like to play games. Is that pretty much why? You like to play games and talk about Jesus? The joke at college, Bible college, (laughs) was uh, since I was a youth ministry major, we majored in pizza and Xbox. That was the joke (laughs) on campus. And I think a lot of people thought that was pretty much it. Probably Josh, because he was much more high up you know, being a pastoral studies major, and I was a lowly youth pastor. I think that's what <laughs> Pastor Josh thinks about me is you know, it's just pizza and Xbox. That's it's pretty right. easy uh, You calling. were across the hall. I knew what you were up to. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, you were probably more diligent in your study than I was. Yeah, I'm, I can definitely be a bookworm. I'm not, Indeed. you know, when I was at college, there was a lot of times where I thought, I don't really fit this whole youth ministry kind of vibe because a lot of those guys are just really crazy and very extroverted Mm. and i mean yes i can be crazy Mm. um and do silly things but i don't know i'm perfectly content to to read and just be with a few people here and there yeah it's good intro thank you sir yeah okay here's my icebreaker question for you guys if you were able to spend a day with one of the people from the bible can't be jesus no jesus Mm. who would it be i'm gonna go with barnabas why because he's an encourager. Yeah? Yeah. I feel like he's a disarming, easy to talk to, just the kind of guy you want along your side to lift you up, get you back where you need to be, and I don't know, just a, a pleasant person to be around. Sure. That's a good one. Nathan, you got it? Probably the Apostle Paul, just to be able to talk with him and to hear about his understanding of the gospel and to be blessed by him. Mm-hmm. I, I man. I don't know if I'd be able to bless him in any way, but I'd certainly want to. Sure. That, look at this, Brother Paul. Your your understanding of the gospel has impacted me, and it's. I'd love to bless you with that. Yeah, mm. oh, that's cool. I would pick Solomon. Solomon. Yep. Why yeah. Solomon? Well, I think 
Did he write Proverbs? Mm-hmm. I like Proverbs. It's my favorite book. <laughs> okay. I think there's just a lot of wisdom in there, a lot of practical wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those ones where you can reread and reread and reread, and it's like the same stuff that was a problem then is a problem now. Yeah. And these are all good things to live by. Yeah. So I like Solomon. Okay. Josh, today we're talking about Palm Sunday. Why are we talking about Palm Sunday? Well, this is the start of what's called Holy Week, the week leading up to Jesus's death and resurrection. So really, it's of utmost significance for Christians all over the world, just a time in which we come together to celebrate what Jesus did for us. And Palm Sunday is the day that really kicks it off. Sure. Do you want to jump into the Bible and take a look at it? Yeah, I'd love to. Now, we're going to be in Mark. You could look at any of the Gospels, Matthew, Luke, or John. All of them talk about this event called the the triumphal entry, which we remember as Palm Sunday. Um, But because we've been in Mark for a while now, we're just going to stick there. And so we're in chapter 11 of that book um, from verses 1 to 11. So reading from the English Standard Version, I'll go ahead and, and read. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So this event, today it's known as Palm Sunday, because it kind of commemorates what the crowd of people were doing for Jesus as he entered Jerusalem that day, right? It says that they took their cloaks, so their coats, and they laid them on the ground. So as Jesus passed by riding on a donkey, he would go over them. And it says that others took leafy branches. At least that's the word that was used by Mark. And I was wondering, well, where do we get this palm deal from? Matthew and Luke seem to include the same idea, these branches. But John adds that they were palm branches. So at least some of the crowd went and gathered these palm tree branches. And that's significance because this was how kings were received. Oh, I see. With palm branches. But because we have this great detail about the final week of Jesus' life, I mean, particularly Mark, about one-third of the book is about this last week. We know a great deal about what took place, in particular that this happened on the Sunday before Jesus would die. Hence, we have Palm Sunday today. You said that kings were received this way with palm branches. Mm-hmm. Something like this has happened you know, during history where a, a king would ride in and they would lay palm branches down, or did they use palm branches differently when they would receive a king? There's a reference back in the Second Kings, King Jehu was his name, and it was just talking about how when he was received, the people did a very similar action in grabbing cloaks and, and branches and laying them before hmm. him as he entered. Okay, interesting. So let's talk about some basic stuff first. 
Uh, Jesus is making an entrance here. First question, where is he going? Nathan? He's going to Jerusalem. It seems that he's focused most clearly on heading to the temple. That's where Mm. the account of chapter 11, 1 through 11 ends is the temple. And so his goal is to get there. And if you read further ahead, this is maybe a day before he heads to the temple and cleans it out. Mm-hmm. And he does that as a judgment against against Israel, against the status quo of their religion. He's saying, this isn't working. This isn't right. You're, you're not treating this in the manner in which God intended for our faith to think and to act and to live. Yeah, he's coming in on the Mount of Olives, and that was a pretty significant place. Okay. Uh, kind of had some messianic expectation on the Mount of Olives. You could read Zechariah 14, but significant things were said to, to be going to happen here. Okay. So it's just a place to take note of, and Mark highlights that for us, right, that he's at the summit of the Mount of Olives, and from there he sends two of his disciples to make some preparations, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I think another question is, Jesus is making an entrance here, but when is it happening? Well, it's the week before the Passover. Oh, I see. So this was a time when uh, Jerusalem was getting flooded. I mean, half the Jews in the known world were, were coming to Jerusalem during this time. Yeah, the population would nearly double at the time of Passover. There okay. were so many people that were just flocking to the city. Right. So lots of pilgrims on their way into Jerusalem at this time. So he was probably in a caravan of people himself as he came in. I see. Why is he entering? Why is he coming? If you go back and mark all the way to chapter 8, verse 827, the book kind of, that's the halfway point, both literally and storyline-wise, that it's been building to chapter 8. And then from that point, he is making his way to Jerusalem. And he is going there knowing that it's in this city at the hands of his his own people that he's going to meet his death. Mm. So there's a very great intentionality on the behalf of Jesus to go where the Lord would have him go to meet his end for the intended end, which was to make sacrifice for sins. I see. They're setting up the whole scene. Mm-hmm. So if we've answered yeah. the where, the when, the why, the last thing that we need to know here is how. How is he entering? Yeah, this is pretty neat. We can see a lot here that Mark kind of suddenly informs us about the manner in which Jesus came into Jerusalem. I think the first thing that's obvious to everyone, and, you know, when we celebrate it, we we think of the fact that Jesus rode in on a colt, right? Or more specifically, a a foal of a donkey. So why why this beast of burden? Well, it's interesting in reading up on it a little bit that a donkey was actually keeping in line with the royal line of Judah. And in David's time, it was really a symbol of kings. In fact, the, the king and the king's household were given donkeys to ride on, for example, back in 2 Samuel 16, verse 2. I won't read it for you, but it's interesting that a servant there comes and presents these donkeys to the king. Here they are for you to ride on. So it seemed to be a symbol of, really particularly, of David's reign. And hence you have this prophetic word in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Now Matthew quotes it. Mark leaves it out, but here it is. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So it wasn't an unheard of idea that the king would come on a donkey, but that tradition had kind of been departed from after David. From then on, the king started to 
grab horses instead, more of a show of might or strength. Oh, I see. So Jesus' selection of a donkey was really going back to uh, the kind of king that David was and that symbol. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that, Nathan. You know, if uh, if you turn over in your Bible to Genesis 49, when Jacob is blessing his sons, you know, this is several thousand years before mm-hmm. the time of Jesus. Jacob talks to the blessing that he has for his son Judah, who is not the oldest son by any means, but is the son that he spends the most time on. And he, he references, he mentions him as the leader. Let me read. Judah is a lion's club, cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Now, we just (laughs) see that the house of Judah is going to be the ruling house. That was the house that King David came from. That was the house that Mm -hmm. Jesus came from. And already, a couple thousand years before Jesus' time, you see that this is the ruling house. And then you see that note about that him riding on a foal. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of the continuation of that royalty. Mm-hmm. It was interesting that Jesus specifies that it's an animal which has never been sat on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. You know, you know what that makes me think of? The horses of uh, King Theoden in Lord of the Rings. Okay. Okay, they're called the Miras, and I'm a big Lord of the Rings I should have known Lord of the Rings was going to come out here <laughs> oh, sooner. Of course, later. okay. <laughs> Let's see, it's been five minutes. <laughs> okay, but these these horses are special, and um, Gandalf's horse is one of the Miras, mm-hmm. and the, the rule is nobody other than the king is allowed to ride these horses. Shadowfax makes an exception just for Gandalf. He's the only one that can ride him. And we kind of see that same idea surrounding this foal, Mm -hmm. that this was an unbroken animal. Nobody had ever ridden it before. And that animal was reserved for someone of royalty. Right. I mean, even in Old Testament, you can see there's a couple references to when animals were not put to this ordinary use. It was because there was a sacred task for them, like, I a, like a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And in this case, uh, to bear up Jesus. So let's paint the picture here. He's on a colt or on the foal of a donkey. He's entering town. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks out on the road, and others spread branches or the palm branches, right? Mm-hmm. Out on the road. So now he's, he's riding into town. All right. Did people recognize the significance of what was happening at that point then? Like just the general crowd? Right. By and large, I think not. For sure, there was a lot of excited enthusiasm. We know that the crowds had gathered because they had heard what Jesus did with Lazarus. This is just a a little while prior. Mm -hmm. And those people were still talking about it. So there's a lot of excitement about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But it's really unclear from the crowd's perspective if they got the true significance of even their own words. Because what they were saying really wasn't unique. These words that they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That wasn't just spoken to whom they thought would be a Messiah. It was spoken to every pilgrim that came into Jerusalem. Really? Yeah, blessed is he who comes. You're coming to the, the Passover celebration. 
and it was a pronouncement of blessing on you for coming. So this would have been spoken every year to people as they came. Really? But, of course, there's, there's a little more excitement with Jesus, but, but it leads us to ask, was it for the right reasons? This is interesting. In John, it says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, what was happening. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him, like from Zechariah, and had been done to him. Like the way the crowds responded to him and laid their, their cloaks down on these branches. So it seems like leading up to the cross, the significance of what was happening was largely lost. But here it is, right? The gospel writers mention it to ensure us that we don't miss the significance of it today. Sure. I agree with you absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've been teaching through Mark in the youth group. What I've noticed throughout Mark is Jesus' identity is not known. Anytime somebody begins to figure it out and wants to make an announcement, Jesus swears them to secrecy. He says, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. It's really only one group that gets it automatically, and it's the demons. And Jesus says, Mm -hmm. no, you will be quiet. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, you see this, this silence, this secret about who is Jesus, until you get to the very near the end of the book, chapter 15, Jesus says, just died. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A verse later, it says, he uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him, one of his executors, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Mm-hmm. It's not there until we mm-hmm. we have that point-blank declaration sure. of Jesus's true identity. Right. And it's it's odd to me that it comes on the lips of who? A centurion, a Gentile, one of the men who killed him. Yeah. Okay, everyone who has not been to Bible college, raise your hand. <laughs> and they're both looking at my hand in the air. Uh-huh. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I have always read that. I've never even thought about it. I have read that as, hey, these people know what's going on. Jesus is here. Right. That's uh, that's very interesting to me. And even in Luke, it says, blessed is the king. So they are recognizing in some way that, that Jesus um, has some kingly authority. He is coming in as a king. He's riding on a donkey. Sure. I don't think those things were entirely lost to them. But was Jesus just coming as a pilgrim, or was he coming for a greater purpose? And that's where, really, we begin to see a difference. There's great certainty in this text, and there's a great uncertainty. The certainty is that Jesus is clearly the king, and that's displayed in in all the way in which he prepared and came into Jerusalem that day. What's uncertain is the crowd, and it's really kind of anticlimactic as Jesus comes in, and there's all this fanfare, and it almost seems like it dissipates and is gone as soon as he gets in. The crowds disperse. He enters Jerusalem, the temple, and says, and when he had looked around at everything, it was already late, and he went out. So just like that, it's over. So what is this action of Jesus riding in on the donkey? What does this mean for us? Nathan? Josh? Okay, I'll answer it. Cricket, <laughs> cricket. <laughs> well, I'll start with this. He came on a, an animal which symbolized humility and peace. And I think that's maybe a first takeaway, that he came to bring peace to our war-torn world. And we are a nation at war. In fact, that was just said earlier on, but it's more than just a war against a virus, which we're dealing with right now. It's really a war against the soul. 
do you see the peace that can be yours in what Jesus is bringing and offering and displaying in this entry into Jerusalem? Because when he got down there and he got to the city gates, it says that he lamented when he looked at the city. He said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And so I'm wondering, are we seeing the peace that he is bringing, that he's offering to us? Because they didn't seem to get it. That's interesting. Had, had you seen this, Josh, you just mentioned it was hidden from their eyes, and the section right before Mark 11 is Jesus healing the blind man, Bartimaeus, hmm. that they couldn't see it. They weren't able to, and here I wonder if Bartimaeus is there to point out that spiritual blindness mm-hmm. that the crowd had. Yeah. Do you see any other points of contact for us in this passage or areas of application for us today? Yeah, on one note, you know that's called the triumphal entry. Oh, yeah. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem and what was said about him was all true. He is the king. His name is blessed. But the salvation he's bringing is not what the people were looking for. They were looking for a political deliverance. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, he comes mounted on a donkey, this humble animal. But his story from here on out appears to be one of great success, right? I mean, he cleanses the temple. Later in that same week, he's going to defeat his opponents who are trying to trap him in these questions. And then he goes on and stumps them in their own game. He teaches daily in the temple. So it seems to be a tremendous, successful pilgrimage for Jesus. But on another note, as Mark presents this part of Jesus' life, he kind of unveils that there's a failure in this as well. Not the failure of Jesus, but the failure of the people to see who Jesus was. This was interesting. Mark highlight he doesn't highlight a lot of Old Testament references. Very early in the book, in chapter 1, he referenced Malachi 3, verse 1. It said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And we saw John the Baptist was that messenger. And then, and the Lord whom you seek, now listen, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And where do you see Jesus going here? He's not just going into Jerusalem, but as Nathan said, He's going to the temple. Into the temple. And what does he see? Well, it just says here, it's very ominous, that he went in and he looked around at everything. And that word for looking means that he is seeing into the heart of the matter, and he's preparing to respond accordingly. I see. By the end of the week, Jesus is going to predict total destruction of this temple. This is interesting. Jeremiah, it says, God is speaking. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Jesus is going to quote that. Behold, God says, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. A few verses later, God says, Therefore I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave you to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. So there's a word of judgment there, and I think when you see that Jesus is coming and he's looking around, it gets a whole lot more meaning into what's happening there. And it just makes us ask, are, are we failing to recognize Jesus? Because you can shout him, right, exclaim who he really is. You can say your prayers religiously. You can give generously. And at the end of the day, 
still missing because your religion is all about you and it's really nothing about him. Yeah, it's very easy for us to get going with the crowd, get wrapped up in the excitement, the religious fervor, Mm -hmm. and to completely miss Jesus. Right. Do you know what Hosanna means? No. Hosanna means save, I pray, or save now. Yeah. So that's what they're calling out as Jesus is coming in. But what do you think they were asking to be saved from? I would imagine it was the Romans. Yeah. They wanted a a free nation. They didn't want to be lorded over by anyone. Mm -hmm. That makes us ask, though, um, there's a lot of people calling out God to save them. But save them from what? Yeah. Something that's on our minds right now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Josh, as we're finishing up this Palm Sunday discussion, where would you want the minds of our church, the people listening to this, be for this next week as we're going into the Easter week or Resurrection Day, as, as you guys have called it, Good Friday? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what I'd like people to, to do this week is to really just get back into their Bible. And for our church members, we're, we're supplying some scripture readings through this, this Easter week and the events that happen from this Palm Sunday right up until Resurrection Day in about a week's time. And to really just to see what Jesus, his focus, his main mission, which he would not be diverted from in order to save us and to really reckon with what he did in that final week. I wanted to end with this verse. It's from John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, and talking about how we're receiving Jesus. It says that he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What a promise. Yeah. To all who did receive him. Jesus didn't just come for the Jewish people. He came for the whole world, to save the whole world from their sins. And this was bigger than anyone in that day could imagine. Sure. Well, yeah, Josh. As I look at the passage and this, quote, triumphal entry of Jesus, and I see the crowd that's very excited, I think, were they excited for the right reason? Because it seems to end very abruptly. And it's not until we get to the crucifixion and Mark actually stops short. He doesn't even account the resurrection. But it's not until that happens that we have anything to celebrate. And for our church, I would just caution that as we're apart and not able to uh, have our normal, regular Easter service and celebration, let's not get distracted. Let's let this be an opportunity to kind of get back to the heart of worship. That it's, it's not about what other people are doing. It's not about getting caught up in the excitement like the people during the triumphal entry were. It's about what's coming still ahead of us, and that is the resurrection of our Lord. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He's treading upon all of his enemies, and he's doing that for us. And he's mm-hmm. he's sitting at the right hand of God. That's that's why we celebrate. That's mm-hmm. why we get excited, not because we're going to come to church and we're going to be all dressy and then we're going to take a picture with our family afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. that's what we're going to re- remember. That's right. what my family does. We stand outside the church door in our nice clothes and we take our Easter picture. Yeah. Yeah. That's not why we're there. No. We're there because the Savior really is triumphant. Yeah. Amen. Josh, you've got something special planned for our congregation this week. Did you want to talk about that today? Yeah, I think that'd be great. It's gone out in the letter, so you should be receiving that, and uh, hopefully you've read through it. But just to remind you that what we're doing is we're putting together these Easter boxes, 
mm-hmm. in which every family in our church will have one of their own, and you'll need to come to the church and pick that up. Now, you can arrange with other people, whether that's uh, you want a relative or a friend to pick it up for you, or we'd be happy to deliver it and even drop it off at your door, uh, but you want to have this box, okay? The other thing you're going to want to do is make sure that you're getting an email from me, and hopefully, you know, if you have that ability, but again, I put some directions in the letter, but make sure you, if you haven't gotten any emails, that means I don't have it and I need to get it from you. Uh, that'll be important as we look towards Resurrection Day and what we had planned for then. What are you thinking that we're going to be doing on Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday? Right. Well, rather than just having a pre-recorded podcast available, what we want to do is kind of have a time together. And the only way to do that is really online. Mm-hmm. So we've been using Zoom. It's a, a meeting conference call in which you can have your video up so we can see you. You can see others in the church, uh, anyone who logs in, and it's free to use. All you have to do is really click on a link that I sent you through your email, and you can get logged in, and it's as easy as that. So in a way, then, you can follow along. We're going to have a service together. I'll be here at the church with a few others to lead some music. We'll do a little look at the Scripture together, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. So it's going to be another nice special occasion. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be a very once-in-a-lifetime experience for our church. Hopefully we won't have to do it this way again, but I think it'll be neat, a memorable thing. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I'd like to close our Palm Sunday special here, our our roundtable discussion, with a very fitting song. Okay, and uh, this song comes all the way from New Delhi, from India. Maker Kashung. He's a singer, songwriter. He both teaches music, and he's presently a choir director at his local church there in India. And he's also a dear friend of my wife, and they keep in touch Although they've parted ways, they, they often communicate together. And so we're, we're very honored and so thankful that he took the time to not only record, but share this unique song with us. It's his own words, his own music. I always appreciate knowing the background to a song. So here's what he said about how this song originated in his own words. This song was born out of my personal reflection on my commitment to God and my walk as a Christian, believing that Honesty is one of the first vital steps towards spiritual growth. I simply wanted to ask myself some hard, practical questions that would require me to answer honestly. Have I been faithful enough in living my Christian life? Well, the answer, of course, is no. It is so easy for me to speak about being a good Christian and claim all the promises, but not so easy to actually live the Christian life with unwavering faith. I'm so prone to wander and take my eyes off Jesus. At times I find myself driven more by my own desires rather than the Word of God. How fickle is my faith and devotion. These are the thoughts of this song. I ended the reflection with a prayer, of course, asking God to help me come back to the heart of worship and to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus rather than on the things of the world. And what a fitting start to the beginning of this Holy Week, this Easter week. So this is Lord of My Life. It's not the hardest thing to call on your name To talk about your wondrous ways and all that you've done All the promises I can claim Cause I've been saved and so I proclaim But the meaning is lost, words spoken in vain 
Take off. 